Welcome to Destiny Spirit Church. I have a, I have a really important uh, question to ask you. See if you all know the answer to this. How many Christian counselors does it take to change a light bulb? <laughs> Any guesses? Any guess? No guesses? No. Only, only one, but the light bulb has to want to be changed. <laughs> now... That, that corny little joke I heard at, at work, I really liked it, and it's funny because it actually works into my sermon. Isn't that funny how things work out? God has a sense of humor. Well, you know, if you should walk into any bookstore, that you know, Barnes & Noble or whatever, what is typically the largest section in a, book, in a, in a bookstore, the, the name of it? Do you have any clue what that would be? Usually, what was that? Self-improvement, self-help books, biggest section, right? You can go in there and you can be a better whatever you decide, right? I'm going to go get the books and I'm going to make it happen. And, and see, and I work in a Christian bookstore and it's really the same. They just call it Christian spirituality. You know, they just kind of retitle it, you know. And so um, try as we may to be a better whatever, we cannot really change ourselves because if we could, we wouldn't need Jesus, right? I mean, really, he's the one that, cha- that changes our lives. And so, you know, when Paul played out this scenario in his life, he said this in Romans 7.21. He says, when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in my members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. It's like a despairing when you experience that, that this is where I want to be, but I can't seem to get there. And every one of us experience that, even as Christians, we get very frustrated with ourselves because, you know, I know I want to be here, God. Why can't I get there? And then he says, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what I want to talk to you about is the transformed life. Okay, so that's what this is about. Now, when we hear this about what Paul is saying, thank God it's Jesus. Yet, the, the irony of it is that when the Lord turns around in 1 Peter, in verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 15, he says, But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written... You shall be holy, for I am holy. And he's quoting back to the book of Leviticus. And many Christians today, they just want to totally dismiss the Old Testament as invalid because we're in the New Covenant. And yes, we are in the New Covenant because Jesus is better and better promises and a better covenant. But there are things that the Lord doesn't change his mind about, which is holiness. Okay, he is not going to compromise on those things. And his requirements upon our lives of discipleship and transformation, they are not an option. They're required, and that's why he tells us to be holy. Even though it's difficult, and it's challenging, and it stretches us, he doesn't water it down or dummy it down, the standards, to make it easier for us. And transformation is what's required for holiness. It all kind of works together. You know, there's a question that I've heard people say, is there enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? But what I'd like to take it one step further and say, is there enough evidence to convict you of being a transformed Christian? 
Because there are many Christians that walk around and they don't seem to have any evidence of fruit in their lives that God is walking with them. They live like God's not a part of their lives. You're almost surprised if you find out that they are Christian. So the question is, is would people be surprised if they found out that we were a Christian outside of these walls? You know, and, you know, the Lord is wanting and demanding to see fruit when you're walking with him at some point, you know, like the parable of the of the vineyard and the owner of the vineyard and or he comes back to to the fruit tree, whatever, and he's looking for fruit. And he comes back and there's no fruit. He comes back the second year, there's no fruit. He's coming back in. He's ready to cut the tree down when the one who's been taking care says, please, please, just give it one more year. And see, God is very patient with us, but he wants to see some evidence sooner or later. He wants to see it in our lives. And, you know, and that's, it's fruit of God's spirit working in our lives. So what I want to do is I want to look at somebody that you wouldn't expect and answer these questions. What is transformation? What does it look like? Is it all at once or is it gradual? Is it, what is God's part and what is my part in this? And let's, so let's look at someone that you go, no way would I even consider looking at that. Because, you know, we categorize people, especially in the Old Testament. We go, oh, he was a bad king, so we put him in the bad king box. And, oh, this guy, he's the good king, and we put him in the good king box. And yet we glean something from each of their lives. And, but most of all, we glean something about God and everybody's lives. Because the Bible is not about these people. The, the Bible is about God revealing himself through these lives of these people, ordinary people. And so many times when I read something, I try to identify with their humanity because I'm human and identify with that. And so we're going to look at King Saul at the beginning of his call of his life. So turn to 1 Samuel chapter 10. And as you're turning to 1 Samuel chapter 10 with verse 1, the background of this story is that... um, Samuel was a seer and a prophet in Israel, very well known. And the elders of Israel came to Samuel and said, look, you're an old man, which I'm sure he knew, right? Thanks a lot. And your sons are not following in your ways. Uh, He probably knew that as a parent too. And we want a king appointed for us like all the nations of the world. Do you know that really was grievous because that was not a light thing to ask because God was supposed to have been their king. And so it, it, it upset Samuel, who went to prayer, and the Lord said to him, Samuel, listen to the people. It shows you how God works with us even when we grieve his heart because he was determined to bless Israel and make them his people. All right, so, we're gonna, so what happened is, and before we pick up in Chen, what happened was that he says, okay, so he goes out on this mission to find the king. Meanwhile, scene change, Saul is out with his father's servants, and he's looking for these lost donkeys, okay? So he's just out. Where are these donkeys? He's been out for a couple days. He's not having any luck, and he hears that Samuel's in town. Oh, he's a seer. Well, maybe he can tell us where the donkeys are, right? This would be like equivalent to you go out shopping, and you're looking for a pair of jeans. You know, that could be an all-day ordeal for some of us. You know, and you're out shopping for a pair of jeans and you run into somebody who moves in the gifts of the Spirit and they tell you this life-changing word, which is just like what she was saying about the guy who got one prophetic word and now he's on the keyboard doing awesome things, okay? Well, so that would change your whole life. And you're like, 
hearing these great things that God wants to do with you, and you're like, I was just shopping for a pair of jeans. <laughs> well, okay, so this must have been what Saul felt like, right? He's 30 years old. He's just out trying to help his father find some lost donkeys, and he gets this amazing encounter with Samuel, who invites him in, has favor, has a fellowship meal with him, tells his servant to leave the next day and says, stand before me till I give you the word of the Lord. So he's like ready, you know, like, wow, maybe he's thinking, good, he's going to tell me about these donkeys, right? <laughs> All right, so we pick up verse 1. It says, then Samuel took the flask of oil, poured it on his head, kissed him and said, has not the Lord anointed you a ruler over in his inheritance? When you go from me today, you will find two men close to Rachel's tomb. And they're going to tell you where these donkeys are. Skip down to verse 3. Then you will go on further from there, and you will come as far as the Oak of Tabor. And there three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you. And they're going to give you some stuff. Okay, verse, go down to verse 5. Afterward, you will come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is. And it shall be, as soon as you have come there to the city, that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and a lyre before them, and they will be prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you mightily, and you shall prophesy with them and be changed into another man. It shall be when these signs come to you, do for yourself what the occasion requires, for God is with you. And then he says, I'm going to meet up with you later. Go down to verse 9. Then it happened when he, Saul, turned his back to leave Samuel. God changed his heart, and all those signs came about on that day. Okay? Now, that verse, in verse 6, it says, being changed into another man is synonymous with verse 9, where it says God changed his heart. So when we think of transformation, we always think of something we may do, but God is saying that it's changing your heart. That's where it starts, right here in your heart. A transformation is going to take place. Now, I'm fully aware that King Saul did not end his life well, okay? But at this point of time, things were going pretty amazing in his life, and it was the Lord who chose him. It was the Lord who anointed him, and that that gives us some inspiration that no matter what you're in life or who you are, when God chooses you, it doesn't matter what you think because we don't choose our own pathway. And Saul had no say in this matter, really. It was like, this is how it is, and they responded to the word of the Lord. Now, this um, word changed in Hebrew is um, hafak or however you pronounce it. And the primary root means to turn or overturn. And when it's translated in various places, it means change or changed, uh, transformed to overthrow and turn around. It's also the same word God uh, used in shaping the earth. So it's like shaping us. That's what he's doing. You know, and, and so when God's spirit is moving in and upon us like he did on Saul, we can do things that we normally or ordinarily would not do because we're like a different person. We become a different person, and our heart is changed by God. And that's what we see happen here is that God, God changed his heart. And this verse 9 is really um, a pivotal verse because before that, it was just standing there and receiving instructions. Go here, you're going to meet these people. Do this, do that, go here, do this. And he's just listening to the instructions. Okay, so every one of us, we've received words from God, instructions over our life in various ways, both very personal plus corporately. 
Now the, now the opportunity is for Saul to respond in verse 9. And do you notice that he has had a crossroads of his life. He came to look for his father's donkeys. He could have blown off Samuel, said, you're a senile old man, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm just going to go on my way back home. Or he recognized that this is the Lord, and he chose to go the other way. And you know, what I love about this verse, it says he just took one step in the right direction. God met him there, right then and there, 100% God meeting him at this point of his life. And see, that is what I think is amazing is because, you know, the choice is ours. And we need to take a step of faith. If God has asked us to do something, whether it be little or big, it is obedience. And you can just step in the direction and God will meet you there. And I want to give you an example. Is um, Back in undergraduate, I had an opportunity with an explorer's club to go um, hiking and stuff like that. And uh, I went rappelling. Now, rappelling is when you get on all those funny straps and they teach you what belayer is and belay on and belay off and make the call. And then you hike up or rock climb. And we hiked up to a, a cliff and we went to like a 20, 25-foot cliff to practice on. And then after that, we went to a 100-foot cliff. And so I've never done this before, and I don't like heights. I mean, I have to get on a ladder all the time at work, and once I get past the third rung, I get really nervous. So I don't like heights. But it's something about nature and stuff. It kind of disguises it with all the trees. And so <laughs> you, don't, <laughs> you don't see how big the drop is, you know. It's really kind of fun, you know. I wouldn't do it off one of those buildings, you know. So anyways, so I'm strapped on there. And, you know, they say the first step is the hardest. Boy, is that true. I mean, you're getting ready to walk backwards off of a cliff. That first step is the hardest, you know. And everything in your head is screaming, what are you doing? Are you crazy? You don't, you're not going to walk off this cliff backwards. Are you stupid? Have you lost your mind? Lord, you're really not going to do this, are you? And guess what? You just keep walking. And then, so once you get off the edge you got to get your feet up at a 90 degree angle to the wall so that your feet's in front of you like an anchor not dangling dangling below and you bounce your way down the cliff okay and I watched the girl after me go and she had troubles and her her feet slipped out from underneath her and she's like a puppet on a string you know (laughs) kind of hanging there but she was safe because the belayer at the bottom is holding the ropes and God is our belayer and we can trust God because he's always on the ropes. He, he's not taking a nap. He's always there and he's got the ropes and we can trust him that he's not going to let us fall and crash. So it's taking that step. And what I want to encourage you too is that, you know, boy, my heart was probably pounding. You know, I was probably sweating. Who knows? Because it was, it, but there was an exhilaration in it. Like you really feel alive when you take a challenge and you do it. Because then you feel more alive, you know. It's, it was very exciting. And I'm so glad that I did it, you know. And so you don't know that till you take that step. Another example I want to give is that at work one time, I was helping a customer, and she did not like the way that I was handling her situation. And she got extremely rude with me. And no matter when she got somebody else to help her, and I tried to step in and help my associate to tell her, okay, this is what was going on with the ticket. She's like, nope get away from me, or no, no, I'm not working with you right now, and she was just really rude, and I was real gentle and kind and everything, and so I apologized to her, said, I'm sorry, please forgive me, I didn't mean to cause offense, you know, and it kind of broke the ice, 
and she mentioned she was in some pain with her back and such. Well, a week later, she's back in the store, and her back is to me, and I drop off some things, and I'm walking away, and she turns around and she goes, oh, hi, I'm the one that was rude to you last week. <laughs> and I was like, oh, hi. And I'm like, ready to, I'm ready to take one step to go on my merry way. And I stopped, and I'm like, no, Laura, that's, that's, the, that's, that's, a, that's a cop out. That's, that's a comedy in the flesh. That's the old Laura, right? Oh. So I went ahead and I went up to her and I put my arm around her. I said, how you doing? How's your back doing and stuff? And you know how that God made, met me right there. And so when I talked to her and she said she was facing maybe like the fifth surgery on her back. And, you know, and I said, well, can I pray for you? And she said, yes. And I prayed for her and it opened up some doors and just broke the ice. And I felt so much of God's compassion for her at that moment. It didn't matter that she was rude to me last week because you know what? It's not about me. It's about being God for that person in need and dying to yourself of, um, you know, being rejected and hurting my feelings or embarrassing me in front of other people. You know, well, who cares? I got over it. But, you know, I was there being Christ. But that's an evidence of God in my life because in my own uh, strength or flesh, I would have run and gone to another part of the store to hide. Okay? But God was with me. And so you need to take that step. And sometimes your knees might be knocking, you know, and it doesn't matter how you feel about yourself at that moment. Just take the step and know that God is with you. All right, now the first step for transformation is recognizing our need to be transformed. Because, see, something in Saul agreed with the word of the Lord when he stood there before the Lord and said, and you're going to be changed into another man. Now, if you didn't agree with the word and you went, there's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing that needs to be changed in me. Well, maybe that guy over there or that girl over there, but, you know, I'm fine just the way I am. Then you're not going to respond to the word of the Lord if you don't think there's any need in your life to be changed in any way. And transformation is a, an entire lifetime. It doesn't matter. You need transformation in some area of your life. And so he, was, he, he responded to the word of the Lord because he was in agreement with it, okay? And it doesn't matter how old you are. He's always working on us. So we don't want to be someone who's like always right in our own eyes. And many times because we have so much freedom in our country, we can spout our opinion about everything, right? But sometimes they're just flat out wrong. We are just wrong. And so we want to be teachable, okay, and, and let God do the work in us. The second step for transformation is, sounds like the first, but it is actually different, is a willingness to be changed in our part. Because, see, we in conversations with friends, we can say, you know, gosh, I, yeah, you know, I know it. I am just the biggest procrastinator. Or, you know, I just easily lose my temper. Yeah, I know, I know. I, I need to do this or I need to do that. This needs to change in me. And, you know, it's one thing to acknowledge something we see in ourselves, but it's a totally different story to say, I am willing for it to be changed. Right. See, those are two different things. Need is the first step and willingness is the second step. Okay, and so when Saul turned and went in that direction, God, God saw his willingness and he changed his heart right then and there. God is so good. And that's why my joke is, but the light bulb wants to be changed, see? Okay, see how it works out. All right, now I want to pick up again in verse 20. 
because what happens is that um, the people were coming together at Gilgal, and now Saul was going to be publicly recognized in, uh, you know, as king. So it says, Thus Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by lot, like casting of lots. Then he brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its families, and the Matrite family was taken. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken. But when they looked for him, he could not be found. Therefore, they inquired further of the Lord, Has the man come here yet? So, the Lord, uh, so they asked the Lord, and the Lord said, Behold, he is hiding himself by the baggage. So they ran, and they took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? Surely there's no one like him among all the people. So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king. Okay. Now, that's the public recognition. Now, before, the word of the Lord was from God, but it was validation as he was obedient, because God asked us to be obedient, then he confirms it along the way by those signs of meeting those different people. And and, uh, something about obedience is that God is asking us to be obedient in the small things. Because if you don't learn to be obedient in the small things, then you're certainly not going to be in the big things. So, and in, he transforms our lives as we are obedient. We don't, we think it's just obeying the Lord, but he actually works on us. And every time we obey him here, he's working in our heart. Then we obey him here. He transforms us there. He's doing something in us little by little through every step of obedience. Okay. Now, um, so God chose Saul even by lot. And notice that Saul was hiding. And you can think, well, Laura, he was hiding by the baggage. That doesn't seem like Saul was changed. No, that just reflects that his personality, which is one to not make any waves. Because um, later on in this um, scenario here, he, he was, um, let's see. Oh, yeah, let me pick back up here in verse 10. It says, when they came to the hill there, behold, a group of prophets met him. And the Spirit of God came upon him mightily, so he prophesied among them. It came about when all who knew him previously said that he prophesied now with the prophets. And they said, well, what has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And then later on in verse 14, Saul's uncle asked him, hey, where'd you go? And he says, well, we went to look for the donkeys. And and when we couldn't be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle says, well, please tell me what Samuel said to you. And so... Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found, but he did not tell him about the matter of the kingdom, which Samuel had mentioned. In other words, he hid from his family what was told about him being king. So he wasn't, he wasn't broadcasting it. He was keeping it to himself, and he was hiding. It was his real, his real personality. And, but God did change his heart, which I will show you later, okay? Now, because it, it's not an all at once, it's, it's, it can be a sudden transformation where you suddenly can prophesy. We always joke about Swanson. It's now Swanson. He's prophetic, right? Yes, because the Spirit of the Lord did it. Mightily came upon him. You know, when God wants to use you, he can give you what you want and, and need in an instant, regardless of what you might think. Now, um, he says, also, Samuel said to Saul later on, though you are little in your own eyes... You were made the head of the tribes of Israel. So that only confirms that it is by the Spirit of God that it gives us the ability to do something that we normally cannot do. Now, 
In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. So there's been a couple times where I've had to remind myself, no, that's the old Laura, and she's dead. And I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. And so I ignored what my feelings were, and I stepped toward the thing that God has already said, which is I'm a new creation, and God met me there. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves, I'm a new person. I'm a new creation. And, but the thing is, is we hide just like Saul does. We hide behind baggage, our personal baggage. I'm not healed enough, right? We hide behind people, other people. If a sp- other spouse is stronger, we can kind of hide in their shadow. We can hide behind leaders. We can hide behind family. And we can hide behind our personalities especially. Well, I'm an introvert. That's just not me. I'm an introvert. I'm not a people person. You know, I'm, I'm, I don't even like people. I'm just not healed enough. Or, you know, I don't have any money. I have a business. Well, I have a family. Well, you know, I'm single. Well, I'm married. Well, I'm a woman. Well, you know, I'm too young. I'm not educated enough, or I'm unemployed. You know, God has heard all these excuses before. (laughs) There is like nothing new under the sun, and we all use excuses, every single one of us. But you know what? Still, God called Saul. God called Moses. God called Gideon. They all had excuses. God called Mary, Jesus' mother, precious young girl, not even married. And God still calls you, and God still calls me. So he can give you what you need because he wants to change you and me into another man, into another woman by his spirit. And see, many times we will only serve God in the area that comes the most natural to us, that comes easy and comfortable. You know, like the people who say, you know, well, you know, I, I just teach children. That's what I know. That's who I am, you know. And they never step out into anything else and discover something new about God and God's power in them. You know, or I'm just a musician or I'm just whatever. You might say that if it's something that comes natural, easy, and comfortable, who gets the glory? We do. But when we do something out of the ordinary, like Saul among the prophets, when we step into a place that we never thought we would step into, do you think he th- thought he was going to be king? My goodness, this happened over a couple days. So, you know, that's where God gets the glory. When we are stretched, when we're uncomfortable, when our knees are knocking, when our heart is pounding, God gets all the glory. Because we can go and tell someone, and they go, well, you look great. I was scared to death. <laughs> you know, but it's like, well, I couldn't tell, right, you? We couldn't tell. But, you know, God gets the glory. So, you know, when we stay hidden from the world and use things like that or personalities as a shield, then we may be missing out on the best that God has for us when he calls. We might miss out on something that is exciting in our life. And many times Christians feel very unfulfilled, depressed, frustrated, and discouraged because because they just ignored these other things or they looked at their own self-assessment. you got to stop looking at your own self-assessment. We know who you are. God knows who you are. Still, he calls and he gives every one of us what we need. So we can't hide behind those things. So the third step to transformation is a surrendered heart and life. 
which does call for obedience, even in small things. It is not an option. And we can be perfectly content with where we are in life. And the older we get, the harder it gets. With each passing year, we get settled in our ways and settled in our life. And we're just perfectly content. And we don't want God to mess with us too much and certainly don't ask too much of us. But you know, God has called people out of retirement. God has called people from the ministry into the marketplace. God calls people from the marketplace into the ministry. And so, you know, we don't really chart our own course like we might think or what the world thinks because God charts our course. Again, we like to be in control. And we say, I surrender all. Well, surrendering is a process too. And so we can't just surrender the one part we want. And the transformation process speeds up a little bit the more that we surrender. Okay, and God's grace is there. He really gives us everything that we need to do what we need to do. Now, the last passage that I want to look at is that this is more showing some evidence in Saul's life that a transformation was taking place. Now, when we say transformation, it doesn't mean ding, I'm done. I'm perfectly who I am. You know, it's like, no, you know, until God takes us into glory, we're not going to be everything that we think we are. Transformation is, can be sudden and gradual. It's very, all at the same time on every level of our life, God is working and we're the one that limits him. And, you know, like the fruits of the spirit show some evidence of transformation taking place. He said, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. If you just study those attributes alone, you know, that's what God wants to see coming from us. Not just, oh, I have a big ministry, or now I'm doing this, or now I'm doing that. And in first, in second Peter chapter one, he reminds us that we're partakers of divine nature. See, and so God is imparting things into our life. And he says to us for this very reason in verse five, Apply all diligence in your faith. Supply moral excellence and knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. So that's how we know we will not be rendered useless for for the kingdom of God. Now, after this public selection of Saul takes place, Samuel dismisses the people. Everybody goes back to their home, including Saul, waiting for, okay, well, now I'm king. Well, now what, right? And so what has happened after this is that the Ammonites rose up and made a major threat to the people of this town called Jabesh-Gilead. So we're going to gouge your eyes out. We're going to attack you. They sent messengers out to the land of Israel looking for help, okay? And word gets back to Saul's hometown. And Saul, he's out, he's laboring, he's working. He's behind the oxen and he's laboring in the field and he hears this cry. And so in chapter 11, it picks up in verse five. It says, now behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen. And he said, what is the matter with the people that they weep? 
So they related to him the words of the men of Jabesh. Then the Spirit of God came upon Saul mightily when he heard these words, and he became very angry. He took a yoke of oxen, and he cut them in pieces, and sent them throughout the territory of Israel by the hand of messengers, saying, Whoever does not come out after Saul and after Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. Then the dread of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out as one man. 330,000 people came out. Now, that's a response, right? And that was the Lord coming in behind him and supporting him. You know, now, when I see in this passage is evidence of transformation taking place in someone's heart and life is that you become more attentive to the cries and needs of others. That's evident. That's what God is saying, okay? And so Saul, while attending to his own affairs with his job, he stopped long enough to hear the cry of others and inquired what's wrong with the people. And so often we're totally unavailable to others, especially with our high-speed culture that we live in. We're unwilling to sacrifice our time or even to bother asking what's going on in the lives of other people. We're always telling people what's going on in our lives, but we don't stop to ask, well, what's going on in their lives? And we're a self-absorbed culture. Even our technology perpetuates this with computers and telephones and iPods. It used to be years ago, we would joke with some teenager about them always being on the phone. One day, that thing's going to grow out of your ear and be attached. And guess what? Phones are now attached to our ears. You know, (laughs) who would ever think? I mean, serious. You know, and iPods cranking music. But see, if you're always consumed with all these voices in your head, and I don't care if it is Christian music, you can't hear the voice of the Lord whispering to you. And you can't whisper, you can't hear the Lord telling you and giving you instructions to go here and go there and do this. Because God doesn't just speak to us when we sit down and have our quiet time. He could speak to you at any time of the day or night throughout your day. But you have to be available to hear the voice of the Lord. And you have to be available to the cries of other people around you. But if you're so absorbed in caring about your daily task, you're not going to know. You're not going to have a clue. And so we have to uh, inquire about what's going on about people's lives and not just focus on your own self-interest. And sometimes, you know, like if we're someone who's like always out of the loop of what's going on and other people always have to fill us in because we never find out firsthand by being in contact and fellowship with people, and somebody else always has to tell us what's going on, and we're going, wow, I didn't know. Well, because you're always out of the loop, you know? And so it's, you know, people who are always that way, they never know, and they're always surprised. But it's not a surprise to the people around them because they know they're always all into themselves. And sometimes I've heard some friends say, you know, well, we just got to get over ourselves. We do. We just got to get over ourselves and realize that are hurting people all around us, people crying out for help. I remember this one lady from this church that I went to before, and she was prophetic. She had her kids in tow, and she's a very strict mother, always on top of her kids, very well disciplined. She was in line at like Target, and the Lord spoke to her said, the cat to the cashier is a young man. He's, he is struggling with homosexuality. He's despairing of his life and thinking about committing suicide. She's like, okay, uh, well, Lord, I got my children with me. How do I say this without what I say in front of my children? How do I, what do I do with this? Okay. And so she's leaned over and said to him, you know, the Lord is telling me 
that you have been despairing of your life, struggling with some major issues, and and even to the point of despairing of your own life, you know, and and he was like, you're an angel of the Lord. You're the angel of God. And, and he was like, thank you so much. And do you know what that must have done for that young man? Of how God was listening to his despair and cry, and she was obedient. Even though she was a busy mom watching her kids, she was attuned to the spirit of the Lord. And I always appreciate that story. Uh, it, is, it always impacted me. So, you know, the Lord tells us in Proverbs 21, 13, he who shuts his ear to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be answered. Because see, Saul, he could have been righteously angry and did nothing. But he did respond. And there was some, a transformation took place in his heart because I believe the old Saul wouldn't have responded that same way. But because it says here in the word that his heart was changed, God had something to work with. So that, so when he heard the cry of the people and what was going on, God's spirit came upon him and he had the righteous anger of the Lord and he took action. And see, if we are indifferent, if we're unfazed and our hearts unmoved by those around us, then God doesn't have a whole much to work with. You know, he's got to do some work in your heart to give, to give you his heart for other people. You know, because when we do shut the cry, because, you know, we could all go, oh, that's terrible. Oh, how awful. But do nothing. You know, if it's in your power to do something and you don't do it, that is actually considered a sin. You know, and so I take heed with that. Gosh, if I shut my ears to the cry of the poor, I may one day not be, you know, answered. So um, the second evidence of a transformed life is availability and sacrifice. And say Saul just didn't get angry. He did something pretty major here. He cut off his oxen. Your livestock is your source of livelihood. You know, in, in agricultural world, you don't have livestock. You can't make a living. You can't put your crops in the ground. So to co and sacrifice your livestock is saying, I'm going to put my job on major hold, and I'm going to answer to the call of my brethren who are asking for deliverance. Because after all, the reason why the Lord raised him up as a king was to be a deliverer. He said that earlier on in this chat in this um, book and so you know he war is never convenient and it's always costly we know that our troops are in Afghanistan and Iraq it's costly and it's certainly not convenient and Jabesh Gilead was probably about I don't know 30 40 50 miles away and that's in the mountains from where Saul was you know and he made this threat to the people if they don't come out that something could happen to their oxen and maybe something made me think about this first. I thought, hmm, could it be that sometimes our productivity in life could be hindered or our goals that we're so desperately trying to reach could be hindered because we're not willing to be available or make the sacrifice for others? You know, it could be kind of a stumbling block. And Israel, to exist as a nation, as tribes, depended on the brothers coming to the cry of war because they would not survive as a nation. They were surrounded by enemies. And, you know, they could go into their respective territories. Thank you so much, Lord, for my wonderful territory. Oh, you're on your own, brother, if somebody comes and makes a threat. You know, I've got my own business to take care of. I've got my own battles to fight. And the Lord has told them, if you go fight for your brothers, then I will help you as well. And we have to fight for each other. We can't allow each other to have to fight all our battles by ourselves. 
We can't survive as a church. We can't survive as a nation. And so that's what God is wanting and, and expecting us for the welfare of others to come together in unity as one man. And incredible things happen for the kingdom of God when we come together. We can't just attend to our own needs. It's not enough just to give God praises and thanks for blessing our lives. You need, you need to, and want to be determined to see your brothers and sisters blessed, to be determined to see their, th- them win a battle against the enemy coming against them, and to rescue those who may be perishing around you who don't know Jesus. You know, it's never convenient. And many times they're like, okay, well, you know, I'll get together. And it's not just when people are in trouble, but it may be the need for fellowship and friendship. Because it's like, okay, we keep putting people on hold when it's convenient for us. Well, when this situation clears up, how about next month? Or how, how about even this summer? And we keep putting people off to when it's convenient for us. You know, it's never oh, going to be convenient. We wait for the sun and the moon and the stars and Venus and the planets to line up before we are willing to move, before you know it, we're singing the song Aquarius, you know? <laughs> I mean, you know, come on. Life, life continues to happen. Things can clear up for you today, and guess what? Something else is going to come along. Because, see, Satan knows how to trap us. If he knows we're one to keep putting things off till it's convenient, he will make sure something else comes down when that situation clears up. Guarantee it, you know? Now, the third evidence of a transformed life is love in action and the motive is love in James 2:17, he tells us that faith without works is dead it's not enough to know but to act okay and words are cheap folks you know you can tell someone all day long that you love them but if you don't ever show it in, in actions then they're not going to believe your words and the, the world around us they want to know if our love is real you know, so we, we have to act. And that's, it's evidence of God's transformation to change our hearts so that we're not so self-consumed and self-focused that we reach out with the love of Christ. And I love this whole scenario in the Gospel of John, in chapter 21, verse 15. Jesus had rose from the dead. He goes back to Peter, who had denied him three times, to reinstate him. He's out fishing, doing what comes natural and what comes comfortable with his fishing buddies. And he comes up and he says, Peter, do you love me? Do you agapeo me more than these? Now, that word agapeo means to love unselfishly to the point of sacrifice. And Peter says, Lord, you know that I phileo you. And that means to be a friend or have the same interest with another person. And then He says to that response, the Lord says, well, then, you know, shepherd my flock. Then he says to a second time, Peter, do you agape on me? And Peter says, Lord, you know that I flay on you. He says, well, then tend to my sheep. Then a third time, Jesus comes back and says, not agape Jesus switched. And he says, Peter, do you flay on me? And it hurt Peter to the core. And he says, Lord, you know that I phileo you, then tend to my sheep. Now, what I love about this passage is, first of all, Peter was brutally honest about where he was. You know, if Jesus stood before us and said, do you, lo- do you agape on me? Go, oh, yes, Lord, I love you, I agape on you, no doubt about it. I would do this for you, and I would do that for you. But you know what? Honestly, if we're really honest to the core, we probably would say phileo. 
I can identify with Peter because Peter was brutally honest with the Lord right before him, the risen Lord. He knew that he didn't have the love that Jesus wanted to see from him. But because of Jesus' amazing compassion, he met Peter 100% where he was at that moment. He says, okay, Peter, if you fillet on me, then obey me and tend to my sheep. So still go do the task that I'm asking you to do with what you have right now. You know, start with where you are. Don't wait till you have the agopeo love. Don't wait till you think you've got the perfect love, the perfect gift. Serve me right now, Peter. Meet me right in here. And so now why it hurt Peter is because it is a revelation with the mirror holding up. God, I, I just don't love the Lord like I thought I did. It is hurtful. And so the Lord, when he exposes our hearts, it is very painful. When I read in John's letters, and he talks about love each other, talking about the brethren in the church, love each other deeply from the heart, or love each other fervently from the heart. I've looked at that, and I'm like, you know, God, whoa, I don't know that I love deeply and fervently. It's easy to love people who love you back, but it's not so easy when it's not reciprocated. So I know that I don't fall short, but rather than despair, I just keep going to the Lord. Because the Lord will give me his love because, you know, I don't have it. He still makes the requirements, love deeply one another from the heart. No compromise from God. And see, many times we stop short and go, I can't do it. And we walk away from God and we walk away from each other. But we can't do that. It's not an option. What we do is we run toward God and say, give me what I need, God. Give me the love I need because it's by your spirit. It's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You know, I'm a different person today because of God in my life, but he's still going to transform me. And I hope to not be the same person today, that next year, than I am today. I want to always be growing, always be transformed, and God will do it. Guarantee it. It is not going to be easy. You know, and Mike and I, one time we had this discussion at home. Sometimes when you hear the demands of the Lord and of the word, you're like, you know, you just think, how am I ever going to get there, God? It seems like I have, and you hear, oh, God will beat you halfway, you know? And it's like, well, sometimes it feels like it's like 60, 40. Like I got to go 60 before he meets me at 40. Or, you know, maybe it's uh, 70, 30. Or maybe it's 80, 20. Or it's 90, 10 sometimes. But that's the striving. And we forget about the grace of God because you know what it is. It's 100% God. He's the initiator, and he gives us the same grace. The same grace that God has saved is the same grace that gets us through. He meets us 100%. And what he asks us is the willingness to be transformed, seeing the need, surrendering our heart, and he will do it for us. It's obedience, and he will take us the next step. That's what he's asking of us. You know, Peter, he definitely was transformed because if you read his letters, they were written many years later. And you read those letters, they are so rich and they are so powerful. They are evident of his agapeo love because he laid down his life for the Lord and for the brethren. So a transformation definitely took place in Peter. He was a great rock of the church. So he, he, can, he can get you there. You know, we got to serve God where we are. And the transformation takes place along the way. Jesus says in Luke eleven nine, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. 
I've heard this preached on before, and they said that the actual, the verbs are in a, written in the tense of, of perpetual, um, perpetual action. It's not ask one time, it's keep on asking. Keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Be persistent, church, on getting what you need from God. Don't just ask one or two times, well, I didn't get it, and walk away. You keep on being persistent. And God's looking for that persistence in us because he's going to do something with that in each and every one of you. If you keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. You know, at Revelation 3.20, it's reversed. The Lord says about himself, he stands at the door and knocks. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, he will come in and abide with us, he and the Father, in fellowship with us. And it's the Holy Spirit. And so, see, the other one is us knocking and us seeking. And the other one is the Lord knocking on the door of our heart. We just have to open the door, okay? So there's a, it's, a, it's just two different scenarios here. So we don't want to despair of our shortcomings because what I said about this being attentive to others, availability and sacrifice and love and action, if you try to go out and suddenly do all that and be somebody you're not when your heart hasn't been changed, you will get discouraged, frustrated, resentful toward God, and even bitter because the heart hadn't changed. So what you got to do first is ask God to change your heart. And then this evidence will start being evident in your life rather than we try to make that fruit happen and we try to make this happen. We know and we fall short every time of the, because we're not, it's by the grace of God. You know, we got to have the heart change. You know, too much who has been given, much is expected. God has given much to us. You know, there are more things taught to us in this church than I've had collectively in all the years before. And so I know that God is expecting a lot from us. He expects great things, and he's going to give us what we need. And there are bigger things at stake, which are other people's lives. One time I was working with this elderly person in an agency, like caregiving services, and she was like legally blind. She lived in her apartment all the years of her life. And I took her to the doctor's office. And what I, and I was getting ready to leave this agency, and so we needed to make sure we found something, someone for her. But the problem is that she kept going through them and finding something wrong with them. And I'm like, gosh, you know, I don't want to see her, you know, not get the help that she needs. Well, I took her to the doctor's office, and she was sitting there and getting really antsy. And, she, and she's like, I don't like this doctor's office. And I was just like, what? You know, I don't like that girl, the receptionist there. You know, I don't like her attitude. And I'm like, Mrs. Williams, I'm the one that talked to the receptionist on your behalf. I said, if you said anything to her, it was like for one minute. Well, I started putting two and two together when I got back to her apartment with her based on some other conversations was that she was prejudiced. And the lady working in the office was black. And the people who had been hired by our agency to give caregiving services were also happened to be black. She, she was prejudiced. And so what she didn't know was that the apartment manager was concerned about this mishap in the kitchen because she wasn't supposed to be cooking. And that if we did not have someone give her the services that she needed, social services was going to step in and possibly take her out of her home, which would really cause great distress to this elderly woman because she was legally blind. She knows her way around her apartment. She'd have to start all over in someplace else. And I didn't want to see that happen to her. And so I had to confront her. And you have to know, I'm not a confrontive person. And I was like, Mrs. Williams, there was nothing wrong with that girl. You didn't like her because she was black. And you're prejudiced. She's like, oh, 
I am not. You should have seen the look on her face. Oh, man, was she offended. And she was so mad at me. And I was like, Mrs. Williams, we're running out of girls to help you. And if, if you don't allow us to help you, social services may step into the situation. Well, I don't want to lose my home. And I'm like, well, Mrs. Williams, I don't want you to lose your home either. I said, but you've got to let people help you. And she's like, I'm not prejudiced. It's just my upbringing. Whatever. But you know what? You know, the thing is, is that I could have shrunk back from that confrontation, not wanting to offend, not wanting to rock in the boats, not to be rejected, not to have her mad at me. But it wasn't about me. It was about her welfare. You see? And you know what? I even teased her about it. So you're not going to give me a hug, hug goodbye. I know you're, you're mad at me. Sooner or later, you'll give me a hug goodbye, right? After all this time working with you, balancing your checkbook and everything else. So, but she was, she was just going to be mad at me for that time, you know, because it's, there's something greater at stake and God has a lot in store for this church. We may not see the picture or big picture now, but if we allow God to transform us, other people's lives are going to be touched in such a dramatic way, but he needs us to be willing because something bigger is at stake than just having our needs met. And so, you know, that is the good news about this weekend, right? We're celebrating our risen Lord who empowers us, you know, and just like the song we sang, what the Lord has done to me. Let the weak say I'm strong. Let the poor say I'm rich. Let the blind say I can see. It's what the Lord has done in me. You know, so church, I am declaring that this church is going to be changed and we're going to be transformed and you and I are going to be changed into another woman and into another man. So this time next year, I expect that this church is going to look different because it is the work of his spirit. He's determinate. So let him change you. Let him transform your heart. Go to him. It is for his glory. He wants to bring glory to his name, and he's going to do it in every one of our lives. I guarantee it. He's just asking for a surrendered heart. So that's what I have. Amen. So, Lord, I just, I just want to pray for us, God. I just thank you, God for what you did on the cross for us, that it is by the grace of God that we go forth from this day forward. And Father God, I ask for pliable hearts. I ask that you would touch our hearts and make them more like Jesus, pliable in your hands, that you would transform us into the image of your son Jesus. Because Lord, that's what you want from us. And that Father God, that we will be vessels of glory and honor to your name. And we're going to be that pure and spotless bride that you want to come back for. And we're going to make a difference in our culture around us because we're being changed, Lord. And so, Father God, I ask that you would surprise these people, God. Those who think that they can't do this or can't do that, that people around them are going to say, wow, is this so-and-so? And so, Father God, I thank you that you're going to come upon us mightily by your Spirit to do things we normally would not do. And you're going to change our hearts, God. And I thank you, Father God, for the work of your Spirit in each and every one of our lives on the small level and on the big level because it's all for your glory. Thank you for joining us. For more information about Destiny Spirit Church or additional teaching CDs or training events, please visit our website at www.destinyspirit.com or you can write to us at Destiny Spirit Church, P.O. Box 15252, Chesapeake, Virginia, 23328. Thank you.